So we got Steve Johnson. We were just talking about, and for anyone on Instagram, it is Forsaken Warrior. Let me ask you, how did you get that uh -huh. nickname? Is that just, where, where'd that come from? Uh, so actually it wasn't like, um, it, it wasn't originally supposed to be like my nickname. So I started out wanting to start like an apparel and like a powerlifting um, gear company. And um, that's what I named it. And you know, just for me showing up at all the powerlifting meets, the CrossFit events, whatever, all the stuff I was selling, uh, people just started calling me that, you know, and yeah. just referring to me as that. But uh, originally, my whole Instagram was supposed to be um, just showcasing other athletes using my products and wearing my stuff. And it just kind of got absorbed into just me showcasing myself. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, it just kind of went from there. It's crazy how I, I know you mean where on on our social media like Instagram handles that's how we know people now like we yeah. know when you see someone and you you say the real name like Steve Johnson's a as normal a yeah. name as you're gonna go like oh Steve oh, Johnson yeah. yeah but it's like Steve Johnson who's Steve oh Forsaken Warrior okay gotcha yeah now yeah. I know who you're it's talking a, about you have to add that in there so, like there's some people in the industry. I don't even know their real names. I just right. know them by their social media, unless their social media handle is their name, you know, something yeah. like that. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's kind of funny how like uh, nowadays that's just what it's become. And when you first picked it, like, like you were saying, you might not have known like when Instagram's first, because Facebook was different, right? Facebook was your name. So right. it is what it is. But when Instagram first started, and you pick your Instagram handle, you don't realize at the time when Instagram was first starting, this is going to be you. This yeah, is what no, people are going to no call idea. you, right? Yeah, yeah. I definitely had no idea. And it's, uh, it's funny now. It's actually more surprising when people know my actual name. You're like, oh, okay. You're like, yeah, it's like a little bit more personal, I guess. You know? <laughs> <laughs> when someone says Steve. It's, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird for myself, too. Because uh, if someone says, like, when, now when people see me, so I have two accounts, obviously the King of the List and then Six Pack Lapidat. But if someone yeah. says, Ryan, sometimes feels like you're talking to your parents. Right, when someone right. says, Ryan, can I ask you something? Like, oh, shit. He, even, like, sometimes, like, last name or whatever. Very rare. Do people call you? Do, what do your friends call you? Do they say Steve? Uh, no, they'll call me, like, Jay or Big Jay or something like that, Johnson. You know, they just call me oh, by my last okay. name. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Uh, or they'll just say Steve, depends. Or just just straight up Steve, yeah. Because yeah. um, nobody would call you Forsaken Warrior in, in your day to day. No, right? not like any close friends like, or anything That's like a that. weird one. That, yeah, I would kind of find that weird <laughs> if they did that. It's like your mom calling you by your Instagram <laughs> name, you know? Oh, so. yeah, Forsaken Warrior. <laughs> yeah, actually, a I, had a, I had a guy, actually, I, I tell this story all the time. I was, because um, when people say hi to me, I'll introduce my myself as my name you know what i mean i don't introduce yeah. myself as forsaken warrior that's kind of weird yeah so, no, uh, shit. Yeah, it's like so feudal at, japan <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i was i was at a i forgot what expo i was at but i'm walking around and a guy was like pointing at me and uh so i walked over to him like hey what's going on you know steve and he's like gave me this confused look like steve and i was like and I just looking at him and he goes, Forsaken Warrior. I was like, Well, I wasn't born Forsaken Warrior. My name is Steve, you know. He's like he's like, Oh, okay, man. I didn't realize, you know. So it was just kind of funny. It's there's different types of nicknames out there. Like um six pack lapidat. My friends will cause it's abbreviated, can eat will just say six. 
Hey, six. Yeah. And it's super short. And it is actually something you can do from the day to day. But it's yeah. not quite as cool as like a Forsaken Warrior. When right, you're doing right. it's like brand because yours is branding as well, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. there's different types of nicknames out there. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people, some of them have some crazy fucking Instagram handles where you're like, man, but you got to stand out, especially if you want to do some type of branding around it. When you started yeah, branding it, yeah. where did you come up with that? Because I know your background. Um, I'm a huge mm. MMA guy, boxing, yeah. MMA, the combat sports. And I know right. you used to actually, you were, were you a professional or amateur for MMA? Uh, amateur. Real amateur okay. did a many many amateur bouts uh but um yeah it, you know i had that background in mma first that was like my first passion before weightlifting even existed honestly i uh you know i barely worked out with any weights whatsoever because you know a lot of mma mixed martial arts stuff like that it's like a lot of calisthenic works body weight stuff and it's, it's more mm -hmm. for endurance and I started adding in the weights really slowly, but that, that wasn't the first passion I always wanted to do or make it to like, you know, the ultimate fighter or something like that. Oh, you know, wow. that was the big thing. Yeah. So I was much you... smaller. Well, I seen the video like, like this is, yeah. how old are you right now? Uh, 35. Okay. And this was, I remember a post going back a ways. Um, I'm a bit of a creeper yeah. here, but you were like 19 when you started uh, fighting in, in, yeah. Right. And 19, then you till like, 24? Uh, till 24. Yeah. So I, um, you, you know, you probably know that I was a sheriff's uh, deputy before too then. So I started working in um, the county. I got hired for the, to work in the county jail and I was afraid of getting injured and I still did MMA at the time, but you know, you go through a probationary period that if you get hurt, they can just kind of fire you for any, any reason mm. at all. So you get a one year probation. So I did one fight right after the academy, like kind of my first months, couple months as an officer. And um, I just, and then I decided, you know what, I don't want to risk losing my job at that point. So I just kind of gave up and I was like, oh, I'll come back to it. And then that never happened. How, so. how, how did you end up finding MMA to begin with? Like as a kid coming up, were you, did you wrestle? Was it just like, were you always getting into fights mm -hmm. or was it more of a sporting thing? Uh, well, I was definitely always getting into fights. That's for sure. Um, you know, I, I didn't grow up in like the roughest neighborhood, but you know, it was enough where it, you know, you had to defend yourself for sure. I lived in like some section eight housing and stuff in, um, in Illinois, I right outside Chicago, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was always doing that. And my uncle actually, his name is Rob. He was like, crazy about watching it and it was like you know this taboo thing at the time you know what i mean like this these guys fight bare knuckle and you should see this it's crazy it was on hbo he would rent it all the time on hbo pay-per-view yeah. and then we'd go to his house with like my dad and you know their relatives and so we'd watch these fights and the only people that would stay interested in it was myself and my uncle and everybody else would just kind of disappear off into the house and uh you know, he started teaching me about like, you know, Emmanuel Yarbrough, Keith Hackney. Dude, Emmanuel uh, Yarbrough, Keith, Keith Hackney. Yeah. Oh my God. So I'm, yeah. look at, I, my first pay-per-view I ever bought was UFC 3, which yeah. was Emmanuel Yarbrough, Keith Hackney. We're talking yeah. like, I think that might've been, I rented UFC 2 from Blockbuster, showing my age yeah. here. And then, um, and then the next, and then the pay-per-view, I mean, I was a kid, 
I don't even know if my parents knew what the shit I was watching. They probably right, thought yeah. this is like a Van Damme movie, right? Yeah, okay, it's a Van Damme movie. But it's yeah. right when it comes up, like but that's an real. expensive. That's an expensive Van Damme movie, son. That was oh, like fifty dollars yeah. on our bill. But um, yeah, I can't believe you're dropping names like that. So you were watching. How old were you then? Uh, I was probably 16, 17 years old, okay. I think. And and I was watching like, you know, who I really liked was Ken Shamrock because he was in the WWF as well. Yeah. And I really liked Ken Shamrock just as him as a wrestler. And I thought it was cool that he was like a real badass in real life, you know, and uh, Boss Rutten and all those guys, uh, you know, that's kind of the era of the UFC I started in watching that. My uncle was really into it. But then in high school, there's a kid I went to school with and, and he did a fight, you know, and I didn't even know you could train for shit like this or that they even had it. So I was kind of like, well, this kid's kind of dorky, you know, and he won his fight. I could probably do this shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking, you know? So I started learning about where he was going and, and stuff like that and training. And uh, I actually went to train with Keith Hackney for a little bit. Um, yeah. So Keith Hackney's combat Academy in Roselle or Bloomingdale, Illinois, it's like border suburbs. And he trained a guy named Gideon Ray at the, time i don't know if you know who gideon yeah, is. he was in the ultimate fighter he made it in the ufc yeah yeah <laughs> so he didn't do too well in the ufc but locally around chicago you know he was like the baddest dude alive at the time yeah. um who was up and coming so i got a chance to train with gideon and get my ass beat all the time in sparring and keith hackney you know beat the shit out of me too so was he tough so, um, so was keith because he was ufc three before it looked any in ufc four and i think he was also in the ultimate 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 tournament and yeah. this is way before mma was mma like now oh so yeah he progressed he must have progressed his skills with the sport yeah he must well have. he had a few guys in the training academy that he owned that were training specific things because i believe he was like white tiger karate or something like yeah. karate yeah so uh obviously that's like kind of specific you know and um when now when i went there he wasn't training that that style of martial arts whatsoever like he went there for boxing class kickboxing muay thai mm. and jiu-jitsu all the time so and then he had guys like gideon training uh people and then you would rotate in guys sparring and i mean at that honestly at that school they would beat the shit out of your ass like so i didn't really you know i don't want to talk down on them i didn't, actually didn't learn too much from them mm. other than just being a punching bag, but, um, you know, so I gravitated away from them and I started going to a place called Midwest training center. And, um, I was training under a guy named Alex Trujillo. Now he took me under his wing and really showed me what it's about. I learned a lot of stuff, cleaned up my skills. And then, um, I became training partners with Jason Guida and, uh, Clay Guida. So I'd be with them all the time. Damn. And, uh, you know, they were both on the Ultimate Fighter. You know, Clay's in the UFC all the time. Um, he's just a maniac. And um, the thing was, is I was always the big dude. So I was always sparring with small guys, but I liked it because it made me faster. So it forced uh, kind of athleticism out of me. And when I say bigger at the time, I was like 235, yeah. you know, so, but I was like the biggest guy there. Um, now I'm freaking walking around 300 pounds, you know, so it's completely Jeez. different. Yeah, oh, I'd gas out in five seconds if I was to spar. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but but uh, two thirty-five for UFC heavyweights is around where you want to be. Like, mo I mean, you got yeah. monsters, but around two thirty, two forty, like Stipe, DC, mm -hmm. they're around. They float around there. Even Fedor, Emelianenko, yeah. like those guys. That's 
pretty standard. Well, that's what's standard. crazy is they look like huge on TV, but then like I stand next to them. Like I went to a, uh, it was when, uh, I'm trying to think. Do you remember when they had like the MMA league for a little bit? Um, like, is it the, they had a couple, uh, like smaller. Is this one like guys like Shamrock were the coaches? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I do remember. Yeah. I don't remember okay, what it's so called now. I forgot what it was called too, but they, um, so when I still lived in Chicago, they had a weigh-ins at a Buffalo Wild Wings of all the fighters. And, um, I knew a lot of the local guys cause it was like the Chicago team versus like Vegas or something like that. And um, you had Jason Guida or Clay Guida on there, a guy named Bart Palaszewski, Jeff Curran was there, all these guys. And uh, so I went to the weigh-ins and I got to meet Randy Couture. Oh my God. You know, Chuck Liddell was there, Tito Ortiz was there. And it's crazy, like how much I saw them on TV. But at the time I was a lot bigger, kind of more like a bodybuilder shape. And I was like towering over them. I couldn't believe it, you know. Were like, you bodybuilder shape even though you weren't lifting weights? Like you're just normally, that's kind of the physique you carry um uh I wasn't like that until I really shaped up when I started like adopting weightlifting as like the main focus of things um but I was always proportioned very well so um even in a, as a high schooler I was like 300 pounds I was like a big blubber ball you know what I mean but I was yeah you would never look at me and be like now there's an Instagram obese. handle for you yeah blubber you ball <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I was uh I I held it pretty good. Like you would never look. I mean, you would be like, "That's a big kid," you know. But you yeah. wouldn't think that I was like obese or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But after high school, I sprouted in height a little bit more, and then um you know I I lost some weight and cut off a lot of fat, so the muscularity was there. I I shaped up really quick when I started lifting. And and when you because you're a big dude, here's the thing. Um, if you're a big guy and you're going against a guy like, like Clay Guida, for anyone listening isn't uh, a UFC MMA fan, like we're talking top top 10, probably as high as top five ranked contender at one time. I mean, I remember when he yeah. beat Pettis and Anthony Pettis uh -huh. ended up winning the title not long afterwards. Like he was beating guys who either were on their way to winning titles or had yeah. already won titles. Like he was legit one of the best in the world to do it. If you get in there with a guy like that, um, because you're a big guy, do sometimes they, because if, if Clay went in with another guy who's an amateur, his own size, he might be like, I'll pull back a little bit. I'm not going to put a whooping on this guy. But if he goes yeah. in there, even though you're an amateur, he might be like, well, he's a big kid, though. So you, I don't know um, if he's going to hold back as much, like, or did he? You know, like, well, Clay, Clay was always really respectful. I mean, he's like just a, a great dude all the way around, like a, just a great human being, you know what I mean? So he um I don't ever know but I always feel like when I did go to like new training places or I wrestled people they went just a little bit more aggressively with me which was fine because uh a lot of the times I was just like overly powerful for them so I would you know I, I would give them a run for their money if even if they were kicking my ass I'd, I'd make them work for it that's for right. sure but Clay was just more about like when it would come to like the uh, groundwork with him uh, I mean, he's like a spider monkey, man. I mean, he's all over the place, like transition to transition to transit very quickly. So as a big guy that's used to wrestling, big guys, they're slower. And you can kind of almost, they telegraph what they're going to do, where this was just like, boom, 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 all the way to everything, man. It, very hard to keep up with. But it, like I said, it would make me better, though. I guess you would, um, with another big guy, because they're slower directly in front of you, you lock horns. You're probably yeah. naturally going to be stronger than 
probably pretty much anybody you're going to tussle with. So you feel maybe even more comfortable than with a guy that size. If you yeah. can't get a hold of him, if he's always transitioning all over the place, you're like, I can't get my power on him though. Even though right. you're way stronger than him compared to a guy your size, you're like, but I can't get a hold. I can't like force my game on him though. He's yeah. just working yeah. around those corners on you. And that's how you end up in rear naked chokes and arm bars every five right. seconds. You know what I mean? That's exactly yeah. how it goes. <laughs> and did you, did you prefer what aspect of the game did you prefer? Striking and gra- um, or grappling or, or, or uh, I, I mean, I really liked uh, the whole uh, grappling part of it, jujitsu. So like in between fights, uh, like, yeah, I guess you could say like my off season or whatever, I would compete a lot in Naga. So I would do, uh, which is the North American Grappling Association. And I would do a lot of, um, you know, there'd be like, there'd be like high school wrestling bouts technically, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, you're going a million miles an hour for one round, five minutes straight. And you're just blowing your wad trying to, you know, position and get points. Uh, when I did those, I never actually tried to submit anybody. I would just try to get points. So I would just wrestle them, basically. Yeah. And that would frustrate a lot of people. You know what I mean? That was the one thing. But I started doing gi as well. And now when I moved to gi, uh, that was extremely difficult because I wasn't used to my clothes being grabbed and used against me. So I would try to wrestle guys in the gi tournaments and get you know, caught in like the shittiest collar choke or something like that because I wasn't used to like a guy grabbing my lapel and, and using it against me. So, you, and I couldn't move as fast, let's say, because they'd be gripping your, you know, yeah, your pants or your shirt, basically. Yeah. So um, I got up to my blue belt in that. And then uh, I just was all about no gi at the time. I actually might start doing it again. So, but I, I already know I'm going to be just smoked. There's a uh, black belt. Uh, Machado black belt guy that goes to destination Dallas and you know just because the whole COVID thing it's been hard to work it out but he's invited me many times to where he trains here in Texas um, to get some some work in with him and you see his videos online I mean if you see any black belt jujitsu guy they're all about like finesse and using yourself against you you know and just so smooth watching them and they don't go aggressive at times they do but it's just a lot more refined it's, it's a, uh, I do jujitsu in, I know you mean where, uh, for people listening, you don't know, right? It is like, people describe it like a chess match, but it honestly is in terms of like for every submission, there are so many different entries for an arm bar, a choke, or yeah. there's so many different sweeps, so many different positions, so many different that it branches out from there that the possibilities are endless. Like you could study this your whole life and never know everything. And because right. of that, it's like a chess match in terms of um, you have so many different moves and you just outlay your strategy on it and you're baiting. So you're baiting that there's a pass here to guard pass, but it's not really a guard pass, right. it's a trap. But when I set that trap and the guy does this, I'm actually yeah. going for this other submission because I want you to counter. And when you counter, it's like literally moves ahead. And yeah. but oh, but you knew that was coming because you'd seen me rolling before. So you actually were baiting me, and now we're going back and forth, and it's <laughs> so much strategy. And it's a uh, so it's I know it what is, you mean. Yeah. And, and in terms of um, like strength is good for sure, especially when you're trying to isolate someone's limb or whatever. But yeah. also, you don't want to blow your wad with it. So it's right. it's a game of you know keeping keeping your expenditures at a certain level yeah. and never over exerting. And if, and you can actually make someone work harder than they need to when you're weaker, 
smaller and they're working mm -hmm. like crazy and you keep them working, working, working and the big strong guy can gas out. I know because right. like, I'm nowhere near as big, strong as you, but for a jujitsu guy, I'm fucking a, a monster. And yeah. right. Cause they don't usually even lift weight sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And um, they can make you work out. If you go against a guy, he recognizes what you bring to the table. He's going to gas you out on purpose. He's going to do certain oh, yeah. things to make you always working. And you're like, man, am I in really bad shape? And like, yeah. if it's a black belt, he'll be like, no, that was my, I just made you never comfortable. I just made you keep working, working, working. And then when you're softened up, I just went for the kill. I took it out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, shit, man. Yep. That's, that's exactly how it is. And like, what was weird for me to transition from that sometimes was, though, when I was getting ready for a fight, obviously, you're using like some ground game to quickly position or submit. You know what I mean? Everything's you're trying to get done. You're not, there's not like such a methodical approach, let's say because you're being you can be punched at the same time and all right. that stuff whereas right. in a ju pure jujitsu tournament you know you're you don't have to worry about that stuff and you know you can get caught up in a lot more you can kind of use your energy different so it's always a weird transition for me going you know 150 miles an hour to like slowing down to like 50 miles an hour and taking your time you know I, I, it was fun i loved it in terms of viewing much rather watch mma uh, i mean for sure in terms of doing there's something about the jujitsu that like, because it is, it's weird, man. It is like a, a total strategy in like, you could watch so many jujitsu videos, how to, and start molding your game, specifically your game. There's too many moves to know them all. So you just focus yeah. on these select few that's your game and try to force the guy into your game. Your strategies right. to pull him in. Be like, I don't know everything, but I got my game. You know, like a little bit of everything. I know an mm -hmm. armbar, but you mastered your armbars. You're going to pull me into certain things, right? Whereas, um, and then it's kind of like a video game where you roll, you get caught, you tap out, you lose a man. Yeah. Reset. yeah. Game, reset. Game reset. Fine. You, I fake die. You choke and I tap. I would have died right there. You would have killed yeah. me right there. You literally would have killed me right there. Okay, I tap. I, I died. We reset and we start again. It's, it's the coolest shit, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. I, you know, I always hated starting from the knees, like in training too. I was like started standing up because it didn't matter if it was a black belt or anything because a lot of them try to pull guard. I'd get them in like a double leg takedown like crazy right away. So I, was, <laughs> I was always like super explosive, you know? So yeah. what, like any guys I'd like, I, okay, so I was a blue belt. I'd end up wrestling a lot of blue belts, white belts, and purple belts, right? So I'd end up, what I'd do is I'd always try to get like a crazy double leg where I sweep their leg out to the side so I get side control right away. Cause you know, I always hated getting stuck in their guard because then yeah. they're just grabbing your sleeves and your, uh, your gi and you just fucking can't move where if I can get side control, I could use my strength a little bit more because usually you have an arm isolated, their neck, you know, legs, anything like that, where I can kind of man their body a little bit more, you know? I, I um, 100%. The, th the thing with wrestling um, cause I've, I read a lot of like autobiographies, um, of like boxers and MMA guys. And a lot of them say wrestling as a sport can sometimes be even worse than MMA on your body only because like MMA and you think like, how was that? But I guess MMA take out concussions, but I mean like injury right. shoulders back, whatever. Yeah. And they were saying, um, because with striking, you're at a distance, you're throwing, but you, there's not pushing, pulling and, and yada, yada. Whereas with wrestling, it's just, you load up into those collar ties and it is just you get a yeah. strong guy like you and man you were getting slammed and push pulled and whatnot so that's why i think one good thing about jujitsu with starting on the ground if you want to do this for like ever 
if you want to yeah. just do this for as long as possible, like into your 50s, yeah. 60s, whatever, you start on the ground, just work your submission game. Every now and then you should start on your feet because if you yeah. ever had to defend yourself, you're probably going to start on your feet. However, right. if you ever have to defend yourself in real life, the guy you're probably defending yourself against probably doesn't know shit. And it's not, right, you don't, right. don't got to be a great takedown guy. to. to but um, anyways, in terms of like longevity, it's gentler for sure. It's still, yeah. it's still, jujitsu guys, a lot of guys have bad necks. If you know, yeah. a lot of guys have some mangled necks, man. You got to be careful when you're inverting and doing shit like that. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I always had definitely good neck pain, soreness because you're also using your head to position and yep. you're not using your arms at the same time. So sometimes you're rocking all your weight. Try potting onto it. Yeah. 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 You know, bridging or whatever you're doing. And uh, yeah, people take that stuff for granted for sure. But uh, yeah, you know, I was always getting tired of my joints being sore, you know, getting your elbows and knees hyperextended all the time. And yeah. um, your neck cranked on because if you're a big guy too, everybody's just trying to choke you, you know, so they're always <laughs> wrenching on your neck, you know? Dude, nobody's trying to isolate a limb on you. They're going to be like, yeah, that's, you know, that's going to be a fruitless endeavor. Um, one of the things I love about jujitsu, I remember this, I was reading about um, Helio Gracie and Swallow Ribeiro. He wrote mm -hmm. uh, Jiu-Jitsu University. And Swallow was told a story about, and this, like, this is what I love about a skill-based, like, like jujitsu, which is total opposite than powerlifting, which is powerlifting, there's obviously some skill and technique, but a huge component of it is just the horsepower you have right your body right. You're using your horsepower your body and you want to be as you age you want to like it's it's a diminishing you know it's going to go down but you want to fight the good fight and maintain as much as you can but the yep. cool thing about something that's skill-based you could you can never stop learning if you want you can always keep learning and um and with jiu-jitsu it's that right you could you can never learn you you could do this your whole life and they'll always they're constantly adding new stuff like you've probably seen gordon right. ryan abby dabby oh, yeah. what they're doing now 10 years ago is like bare knuckle uh, comparing bare knuckle boxing to boxing now. Like the, it's oh, like yeah. Dan and her death squad and what they're doing. It's just crazy. Right. Yeah. So, um, I, I heard a story. So, uh, Soalo was saying he was at the Gracie Academy and Helio Gracie for anyone listening was the founder of jujitsu, uh, him and his brother, Carlos. And he's like, man, Helio lived to be like 90 something pushing a hundred. No, no lie. And he was straight up like pie made from kill bill. You know, the, the Kill Bill 2, the guy, the old Kung Fu master. Have you seen it? Did I no, freeze I on haven't. Uh -uh. It's, so, so he was, he went over to um, the, the Helio Gracie Academy and Swallow wanted to get, um, you know, he wanted, he wanted to get some attention from Helio. He wanted to show off a little bit. He's about 25 years old and the reigning world champion. So they're rolling and he's, you know, gaming on these guys, styling on these guys a little bit, showboating a little bit, because he just wants Helio's attention, right? And Helio's sitting back watching, and um, he got Helio's attention, but Helio didn't really like the way the kid was carrying himself. So Helio's watching, and they're doing five-minute rounds. You don't take points in jujitsu when it comes to sparring. You do five-minute rounds. You just try to tap each other out. That's it, right? No points. So Helio's watching, and Swallow's trying to – he's definitely working his game, and he's, he's showboating a little bit. He's kind of laughing, you know, whatever. And Helio, at the end of the practice, never does this. And he said, uh, he walks up to Swallow. And Helio at the time is like 70. And, and Ribeiro at the time is 25. And he's the reigning world champion. And Helio, Helio goes, look, you're good. You're real good. But I don't think you could beat me. And Ribeiro says, you mean in your prime? And Helio says, 
No, I mean right now. And Ribeiro's like, yeah, be fucking kidding me. Like right. this dude is every day of 70. And right. he's and now Helio waited until my man already went six rounds. He's not dumb. He he waited until he's and, and Helio's fresh as a daisy, but still 25 against 70. Now right. he said, Helio said to his student, put five minutes on the clock, me and you. And Helio wanted to humble this young man. So they roll. And Ribeiro said, look, if this was a, a, a competition, I would have got positional points on him like crazy, for sure. I would, yeah. I would But it's a roll. We're going for subs. He's like, I shit you not, no matter what I was doing, he always was just, just did enough to stay out of danger and live and survive the whole five minutes. And it was a stalemate after five minutes, me and a 70-year-old yeah. man. And he wow. said, in terms of learning in terms of humbleness, um, to humble myself, because, you know, there's always a bigger fish. And learning that um, it's extremely skill-based when there's something to be said for knowing enough to survive. Oh, yeah. Which it's, I always – I love that story. Yeah, that's that's good. That's That would be fucking humbling for sure. That's that's absolutely sure. Dude, when you're styling on everybody and some seven-year-old man calls you out in front of everybody and set the clock and you can't put him away. He didn't put him away either. Like, Helio probably wasn't – getting too many sub attempts on him but still man i mean i'd be skeptical though if a 70 year old guy you know it's been doing jujitsu his entire life calls me out i'd be like oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you you'd be like what the fuck is up you right, know, this, right. guy, this guy's good you know he's you know he's confident it's he not his first shit on you didn't know you didn't even know existed right he's he's that kung fu master and lives in the top of the mountains he's straight up one of those dudes yeah um so how many how many MMA bouts did you end up having? Did you have like a bunch of them or? Uh, I did eight. Okay. So um, and I was uh, I lost three of them all by um, uh, judge's decision. Just uh, one of them was by uh, yeah by points. That's that's how they all would work out by points. Yeah. I never was submitted. I was never knocked out. I mean, I've been hit really freaking hard. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, there, there was one, one fight where I went down to, to take a double leg. And at the same time, the guy threw a kick. Now he was meant to be, you know, like a kick at my leg and a leg kick. And I lowered my levels real quick. So I remember afterwards we were talking and he was just like, because I remember the whole crowd, I remember just hearing the whack and everything going black. I was still <laughs> awake, though. I was just what? stunned. Uh, really? The ref didn't call the fight. I was able to kind of wrestle through it. And, uh, you know, I ended up losing. I was pretty dazed after that and just kind of fought through it. But, you know, they, they would always throw these little after parties afterwards. So afterwards, he's like, dude, he's like, I thought I fucking killed you. He's like, I didn't mean to throw it at your head. He's like, I just threw the kick and all of a sudden your face was there, you know, and just terrible timing on my part. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, you, and you made the distance, kept fighting, but did you, could you, were you even like there, there, so to speak, or were you just out of no, it? No, I, I feel like in, from what I remember, I never fully recovered. It was more just uh, did what I can to, to defend at that point. Cause I remember I, when he kicked me, I stood back up. And I, like, was brought right back to my feet. So I never was actually knocked down. But you could tell, you know, I wish I could find some of these videos because a lot of them are, like, that old 8-millimeter film. You know what I mean? So I've been calling all these uh, organizations that, that still exist and trying to get some sort of footage. But 
um, you could tell from what I remember seeing the video that I didn't really know what, where I was at or what was going on. And I was just kind of in like autopilot for like a few split seconds. And, uh, you know, I ended up boxing him and actually getting a few good hits back off of him. And then he took me down because I mean, I had no reaction timing after that, yeah. you know? And I remember him taking me down. I was on my back and it was just me trying to stop him from mounting me at that point, you know, but I, I, I lost and it was just the points. So judge's decision and just that it is what it is, man. <laughs> how wild, isn't it wild how um, the mind can go into autopilot and what you can accomplish with that. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's it's funny how fighting is so like intuitive and ingrained in human beings if oh, yeah. it was any other thing if you got hit like that and went into autopilot you're not fucking doing math equations and shit like that but if right. it comes to fighting it's so intuitively in you like oh, humans yeah. that you will I mean, you've seen boxers on their backs still punching you've seen people how many times in mma the ref jumps in and the guy yeah, starts wrestling the ref it's so intuitive ingrained in humans that it's like yeah. in our DNA, the switch can can flip, and the lights That's go like out. a basic uh, human survival instinct, right. basically. Right. Yeah, and uh, it's hard to describe how it feels. I mean, I've passed out from other training, or I've been concussed for sure. And uh, yeah, it's a um, you know, it's a weird feeling, and you don't feel that great afterwards. There was a I fought this kid named Jody, Jody Charay, or chart or something like that it's on sure dog if you look it up and uh i can't find the fight i can find the whole night of everybody else's bouts that happened but not mine but the results are still there but i lost that one to a judge's decision and um we were just boxing and boxing and boxing i thought i had him beat and at some point i guess i had gotten some concussion and there was a after party at a it was like a wing wings restaurant everybody from the stadium came because this was at the sears center arena in chicago so it was fucking huge mm. and um have you ever heard of the xfo yeah okay so that's the organization i did a lot of fights in then so okay um so the xfo they had the after party and all these people were coming to like my table and it was reserved with all the guys from my my training school and my food came out and i remember just staring at it like and just this overcome with like nauseousness, you know, and people oh. were bringing me shots and alcohol. That's a and bad I, idea. <laughs> I went to the bathroom. I remember hanging out in the bathroom for probably an hour, just in the stall, like, you know, arm on my head, just leaning on the wall. I, ne I never vomited, but like I was on the verge of it the whole time, just dizzy. And uh, needless to say, I didn't really enjoy the party after that. I had like, you know, you know, guys, look, yeah, spray marks all over faces, lumps and stuff. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> you don't look like you're having a good time. That's for sure. Wait, I was hurting what, pretty bad. Do you think, like, how many concussions do you think you had? Is it, are you scared now? Like, when you get, when you're like 19, 20, 21, you think you, you don't thinking about, like you were saying earlier, tripoding on your head to, to uh, you know, isolate an arm because your hands are busy trying to get that arm. Or right. you just do things and you don't realize, like, now, like, if I roll now, I'm, not doing certain things because i'm like yeah, i don't want i don't give a fuck i'm not gonna you know right. put my body at risk and at the time it's probably the same thing in terms of concussions but now that you're 35 are you like fuck man kind of i'm kind of worried about the concussions i might have got you know i don't know that doesn't i'm kind of hard-headed man i feel like i'll push the limit if i have to for sure but uh 
I don't think I was concussed that many times, but the times that I was, I definitely knew I was. That's for sure. Right. Like you, you don't feel good. You know, you feel rattled and you feel like you feel sick. You really just feel like you're going to throw up the entire time. That's all you feel like. I, At I least remember, for me. I remember uh, there was a boxing gym next to my, the city I, I live in, in um, Lennox Luce is from Kitchener originally. I'm in Guelph. Kitchener's right beside us. Lennox was at that gym, but not when I went there, but he, um, he was like before, right? He's, he's old. Yeah. And um, the, the coach that coached him was there. And I remember I, I was sparring with a guy who ended up fighting Bernard Hopkins for the middleweight championship. His name's Sid Vanderpool. And he fought Bernard and went the distance with Bernard Hopkins for the middleweight championship, um, which is huge. And I remember at one point I came off the ropes and he's so much better. I'm, I'm, you know, in, so he was, he wasn't trying to hurt me, but it just happened. And I got hit with an uppercut and um, I kid you not, like everything seemed like it was like pixels and then shrunk. It went black, total black. (laughs) And then boom back, like everything's back on. And I'm still there standing and throwing punches and but if but I was like like it felt like I was stepping on like clouds, man. I, my legs were oh, yeah. on. It's such a weird, bizarre feeling. And I was like bolt of anxiety, like what the fuck is going on? Like I don't know what the hell's going on. And people were talking in the background, and we were still going. No one stopped it. No one knew how hurt I was. And if he wasn't who he was, because he's not going to try to take me out. He's like so. Yeah. He's a pro. And you're actually safer with a pro than you are with someone who's an amateur because they'll fucking take you out, right? right. So, or they might. Whereas a pro's just playing with you. He hurt me by accident, carried me the rest of the way. It's fine. And then I remember my buddy's like, hey, you didn't do too bad in there. And I'm like, I remember being like, dude, I'm fucked right now. And he's like, what do yeah. you mean? And I drove us there from more like the neighboring city. And, yeah. and, and I go, I think you have to drive home. And he's like, what did you, you drink? What do you mean? I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fucked right now. And he's like, you better, I was like, man, you better drive. And it was such a weird, like, I wasn't right. Like, I mean, I ended up having a headache, waking up the next day. Like I was hung over, like, like a headache oh, yeah. and the whole nine. And it's so weird. And um, so I, I know what you mean where it's almost a little scary because it's your brain. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. That's what freaked me out. Like, this is my brain that, it's like this. It's not like a sore shoulder when I woke up the next day, and I was, uh, you know, fuck, I don't know, man. It was, it was it's it's like a scary that, feeling. That, it's a small portion of your entire life that you don't remember anything. Yeah. <laughs> your yeah. your mind was erased for a split second. It it and um, it's it's we. I want to know like what did I look like when I was in there? Like people weren't asking me if I was okay or anything. And my buddy was like, "Hey, you did pretty good. Shit, that's pretty cool. You were in there with that guy." And um, no one knew. It was like, it's like, how did you guys not know, man? Like, yeah. like fucking, I had headgear on. Maybe that helps. And then Maybe, the dude yeah. probably recognized, oh, this kid's hurt. I better carry him. <laughs> His yeah. kids, I'll let him save face, but he's fucking hurt. You, you can <laughs> always tell, though, when you're sparring somebody or when you're actually fighting, when you connect a specific way onto the person, you, you, know, you know, oh, shit, that one. That one probably hurt a little bit. He probably, and he was probably like, I'm not going to say nothing because he doesn't want to get himself in trouble either. I'm sure the head coach would be like, don't fucking hurt these kids. Yeah, like, yeah. You're, you're, you're literally a pro fighting for world titles. And boxing's so, um, like, when you're when you're just like a, a dude hopping in there and you're in there with a guy who's at the world level, it is like two different sports. It's like you're playing two different sports in there, man. This guy can play oh, yeah. with you however the hell he wants to. It's like if you're a white belt against a black belt in jiu-jitsu. They're just having fun. They're eating food. 
Like yeah. if, if they want to take you out of there, they're going to take you out of there. They want to carry you. They'll carry you. It's so humbling when you get in there. You're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Smokes. Yeah. So, a whole other deal. And then so after that, when you were doing MMA, and then, and this is, by the way, turning into a fucking MMA podcast. Um, <laughs> but um, so you started as a, as a corrections officer? Yeah. So I was working at a jail in, in uh, Chicago called Cook County Jail. Okay. And um, I worked as a corrections officer and kind of, you know, I was getting involved. I always had like many hobbies, which I still do. And that could be a good thing and a bad thing because it soaks up all my time. But, uh, I started getting into, I was already lifting at that point, but I wasn't so much into powerlifting. Now I transitioned to, I was playing football. Mm. So um, the, it was called the National Public Safety League. It had a semi-pro football team they put together and we flew around all over the country or drove and we played other, other teams, you know, and, and played tackle football. It was real football. I mean, we had guys that were, college level players ex nfl players you know like yeah so it was fun and you had to try out and all that stuff well i mean i always had really good athleticism and not only that i had a lot of like tenacity you know so um even if i wasn't good i figured it out fast um i took i always took coaching and direction very well and i actually applied it you know and um my first season wasn't so great. You know, they put me on as offensive lineman and you're just a punching bag for linebackers. And I fucking hated that, but you had to, you had to know a shit ton of plays, you know? Um, and then the next year after that, I talked my way into defense. I tried out for defense and they were like, Holy shit. You know, this guy's psychotic. We didn't realize he's as athletic as he is for how big he was. Um, so they kept me on the D line. I played nose. And uh, the thing was, is at the time I like towards the uh, middle end of my football, you know, career, a couple seasons I played, I started getting into powerlifting, right? I was already really strong, but then I was like becoming freakishly strong Mm. where, you know, there's strong people and then there's people that are just way beyond what you are, right? So I was manhandling huge 350 pound linemen and just throwing them onto the ground, you know, and. Uh, making all these tackles on running backs and quarterbacks. So I had good seasons uh, as a defensive lineman, definitely. And this was, and this was um, like the correction, all the corrections officers were on this team? Uh, it was, uh, so it was any police. So it was all over Illinois. So it was state police, local municipalities, guys that I worked with in corrections, um, FBI. We had a few Holy guys from there. We had guys on the U.S. Marshal. I mean, it, it was pretty well-rounded, but you had to be a uh, active, active duty police officer. Um, and obviously, you know, they, they'd send the uh, schedule out because we had, we would train, start training in the winter and we'd be indoor fields and then we'd move to outdoor as it turned spring. And then our, our uh, games were in the summer and into like early fall. Um, so, I mean, it was legit. I mean, we were hitting each other. We were doing like, crazy shit man it was fun is it did you guys ever play and this is straight up the longest yard was it the longest yard that movie this is straight up that movie did you ever play a team of inmates it became because that would be a fucking movie right there oh okay that that would uh that would be good though that i'd honestly you know 
as someone that was an uh, officer at work in jail, I'd, I'd love that shit, you know? And I'm sure they'd want to fucking take you out. And oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'd be fun. But there were some big-ass – we had some big-ass officers in there, you know? Yeah. There were some – I mean, it was like a legit football team. We weren't like – it wasn't like no high school football. It was regulated like a college football team, I would say, you know? So – When you work right in, in working in the jails um, – so was it, what's the difference between a jail and a prison? A jail, one just uh, housed you temporarily, the other one, you, the, these inmates are living there. Right? Yeah, so uh, the easiest way to describe it basically is that if you uh, go to court and you're sentenced to 365 days, four days or less, 364 or less days, you go to the county jail. Okay. If anything over one year, you go to prison, which, uh, so jail is mixed with people who are awaiting their trials or going through their trials also mixed with people that are serving county time so okay. they a crime that's not big enough to go to prison for now guys that have been convicted of their crimes and sentenced for anything over one year they'll go to the prison system then which uh they're remanded by the state of whatever wherever they live at that point point. and which one were you working in again sorry I was in Cook County Jail. It's in Chicago. Okay. Okay. So it wasn't it wasn't as nearly as bad, I'm guessing, then, in terms of, like, what you would have to deal with, with, like, I mean, I'm in Canada. Our prison system, our prisons are, I'm, I'm sure it's not rosy. It's not like a camp. But yeah. in comparison to U.S. prisons, like, we, I've seen documentaries and some of them. Oh, uh, yeah. Stuff. Cook County Jail is uh, definitely considered one of the worst jails in oh, the wow. United States as far as um, – the amount of inmates we house. So it's actually the second largest uh, single site facility. LA County is the biggest, right? So um, Cook County Jail, on a daily average inmate population, we were over 12,000. Holy shoot. So it was a city. I mean, and you had a couple thousand officers on shift. So it wasn't like, you know, it was broken up into divisions and it spread across one square mile of different buildings and units and they all did different things or housed different security levels of inmates. Um, and then we had like a women's division, we had a hospital, um, you know, we had a max super max, uh, you know, the worst of the worst guys were in there stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's a whole different, whole different ball game. Like, did you like that job? Was it stressful? Um, it was not. Okay. So this is crazy. It's not as what the inmates never stressed me out. I, I never had a hard time. Don't get me wrong. I've been part of my fair share of, you know, riots and, you know, mayhem that's happened, but it was always the actual administration that were, you know, on the police side, that was the hardest people to deal with. You know what I mean? The inmates, you get along with them like any other, like we're talking right now. I could BS with them. Obviously you, you exclude some personal details when you're talking to them. Cause you never know what people's motives are, but right. Um, you know, I, I, I never really honestly had my personally, as far as the inmates go and as an officer, a really hard career, but, uh, it started getting worse, um, working with the administration. If you know anything about Chicago, especially Chicago, it's lots of politics. And, um, if you're not plugged with somebody, if you don't have like a, you know, someone that's got your back that's, you know, higher up in the administration or in the county board or something, you you can easily be messed with for the rest of your career. Oh, wow. So, yeah, if so I was always kind of sick of that. If you get on, like, the wrong side of somebody, yeah. Just, yeah. they're going to make your life hell. 
Yeah, they, well, they'll try to, you know, and uh, you learn to uh, obviously not show that you're irritated. You just you just go with it, and that that would make them mad. And it'd be all these little sneaky little things back and forth, how to piss each other off, you know. And but what what was the ultimate? I guess fu to the administration was became I became a union steward. So we had uh the, you know the deputies uh, police union there. And uh, they made me a steward, so I would go to all the meetings. And I, I mean, I learned the uh, general orders of our jail in and out. So I became the guy that was like the officer's attorney. So they were trying to fire him or get him suspended or take away money from his paycheck. And then I'd come in with all these loopholes and stuff and use their own stuff against them. You know what I mean? And I was just started outsmarting them that way. So yeah. then they started, then I started getting like black blackballed you could say where uh you know they would assign me to work with like uh civilians let's say sitting mm -hmm. at a desk you know so um that's their way of was their way of getting people out of the hair that their hair that they didn't like anymore was it do you think it was easier working with these inmates it, because you're like you were at the time huge past mma fighter do you give you a little more respect um, a little more room or did they even know all that no, they, so they didn't even know all that, honestly, because um, I never really got into any personal things like that. Obviously, they could tell that I, I worked out, you know, and stuff like that. But um, it was honestly, man, I could tell you it's just all about give and take of respect. You know what I mean? So if someone was a dick to me, I was a dick to them. If they were cool and laid back, I was cool and laid back. It's just how mm -hmm. it went. And, uh, you know, not overstepping your boundaries as – a person you're not doing things to like um retaliate let's say against them and uh you know you just talk to them like normal people i mean because growing up i had a lot of family that was going in and out of jail all the time so i viewed it as kind of like that you know well my uncle has been locked up in and out and i talk to him and hang out with him normally you know these are just normal dudes doing dumb shit you know mm. and uh i and I think because I was bigger too, so I already, I kind of already had that commanding presence just naturally. Mm -hmm. um, so they, inmates would always approach me much differently, let's say, than a, a smaller officer. A smaller officer, they're going to test you out. Yeah. And they're going to try your emotions and your patience. Where with me, they tried my patience, but, you know, I'd yell or raise my voice or just talk shit, and then they'd leave me alone, and then we'd be fine after that, you know? Well, it is like... It's just natural, man. You're going to give a dude room if he's 300 pounds. It's like, yeah. do I test this 300-pound guy? Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, I mean, there were some that tried, you know. Really? Uh, yeah, there were some. There, I mean, there's big guys that get locked up, too. And, you know, That's of true, course, yes. uh, and in jail, it's all about your, um, at least on the inmate side, it's all about your kind of like your macho-ness. You know what I mean? Who's tougher? Like, who's the alpha there? And usually the big dude on the, in the living unit was the one that was in charge of everything. He's the one that kind of took over, you know? And uh, so of course they try to test you out because they thought they were big. So they, you know, I'm going to give a stab at this guy here and let's see what happens. And then figuratively or literally. Um, I was at. never, uh, I was hit with um, like soap socks. If you know what those are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and uh, you know, sucker punched a few times, but um or they attempted to jump me with a couple guys but that didn't go over so well either but no not stab me with any objects i've seen somebody get stabbed but not it's never happened to me
Isn't that like, I, look at if, if I, most people, I, I'm in a corporate environment, man. When I show up to work, if like, if someone forgot to fucking fill the coffee, I'm yeah. like, what the shit? Whereas you go to work and like six dudes try to jump you or something like that, or like throw yeah. soap and socks and give you one of those parties. Like, and, and you know, that's a whole different level of stuff you got to deal with when you're getting up in the morning. However, Previously, you were also going into a cage and fist fighting a man. Yeah, picking off and, your shirt and fist fighting a man. So I guess and the way I grew up too, honestly, man, it was really hard to intimidate. It's really hard to intimidate me or to put me in a situation that I feel uncomfortable in. You know, just because I've been amongst chaos, I feel like my entire life. So, um, in a way, you kind of almost feel comfortable with it. Um, where, like, I would go to work, and a lot of the times in the jail, it was sitting around you know a lot of time there was there's not as much that goes on as you think obviously when you see stuff on tv they show you the highlight reel right mm -hmm. so in the jail and that wasn't most of your day was weeks upon weeks of sitting around doing jack shit staring you're a professional babysitter is what you are and uh you know i it would just you need something to do to break up monotony. You know what I mean? So they'd put us on like searches, searching inmate uh, cells and, and they'd put me on like movement where I would be taking, you know, trains of inmates to court, walking them back and forth. Cause we had an underground tunnel system uh, to keep everything in house, you know? And uh, so I'd be doing stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it was, it was wild. It was, I, I, I missed the camaraderie between me and other officers and friendships that I made there, but I don't miss the jail for what it is like at all, you know? And did you see when you're doing some of these searches, some crazy shit as well? Oh, like, How the hell did you get this in here? Oh yeah. Ton, all the time, you know, and you'd be like baffled by like, you know, there's some of the weapons they would make. I mean, are just like, where did you find this piece of metal and how did you get it here undetected you know like i found one time a uh, a shank and honestly i wouldn't even call it a shank it was like a katana like it was like a fucking sword yeah and i remember pulling this thing out it was it was thin enough that they wedged it between two creases of a wall and it's like a plumbing panel it's hard to describe but the wall had like a small gap and if you just looked in that gap you would just think, oh, it's part of the wall. But obviously, the tiny little string attached to it, you know, something doesn't look right. So you pull on that string, and then boom, here comes a handle. Next thing you know, you're pulling out this machete, and you're like, what the, f you know, like, how the fuck did you get this? And, and like I said, what's even more baffling is how do you get it here undetected? Because they go through many different stages of searches when they're moving around freely. And uh, it turns out they were pulling, uh, light fixtures down and then they were like kind of uh putting them back in a way so they looked normal yeah. you know so, but yeah they were pulling metal pieces from it um oh man i've seen i found a I'll, I'll tell you some fucked up stuff like um i found um like fishnet underwear in this guy's cell right and uh <laughs> it's it's fucked up to say but the dude in the cell was known for like raping other inmates basically oh, wow. yeah so we pulled him aside and asked him where he got this underwear so it turns out he would make his cellmate wear it 
Oh well, no! Did sexual things to him. Yeah. It's me. Okay, let, you know what? I'm gonna tie this around full circle with MMA in prison uh, or jail. <laughs> uh, I got a story for you. But first off, that one dude with the freaking katana blade. It's like, hey, yeah. uh, Leonardo, what the shit? Where did you get this from? And that would scare the hell out of me, knowing that there's some dude walking around with katana blades, and like we have, yeah, basically like the Foot Clan from Ninja Turtles walking around out there. Like, oh yeah, dude, that's 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 a little unnerving, knowing you work there and this is what they have. Oh, yeah. And I mean, honestly, we weren't even armed that well. So I found so many, many knives made from plastic or even, uh, you know, plastic gets sharp. People think, oh, plastic. No, this is a different, this is some different shit. If they hit you with that, it's going to, it's going to work. You know, it's going to work well. Um, of course, metal knives, stuff like that. But it was sometimes you'd think to yourself, like, damn, like, you know, we'd go and do run-ins on tears if we, there were suspected drugs or so, but these guys can pull knives out anytime. And all we have was a little bit of pepper spray. That's Jesus. it. Because you're unarmed in the jail. Yeah. You know, you don't, we didn't, a lot of people think you carry batons or anything like that. We didn't have that. What? Uh, yeah. You, you didn't, didn't have that. batons? Dude, we thank had God you had an radio. MMA background. Well, we had radio, flashlight, and handcuffs. Later <laughs> on, later on in my career, we were able to train to be allowed to carry pepper spray. And then even later than that, right before I retired, um, supervisors only started carrying tasers, but only on the living units where the inmates were um, like the worst of the worst inmates. So a supervisor, you can even pepper spray an inmate on your own without having a supervisor present unless it was like a life or death situation. So you had to fist fight. That's all it, that's all it was. And hopefully it's a fist fight. Hopefully it's not a fist against knife. And hopefully you're not bringing right. fist to a knife fight. Well, yeah. So at that point, if that's ever happened, you would have officers that would pull their handcuffs out and kind of wrap them on their hands like brass knuckles yeah. um, or use their radio as, a, you know, you're carrying your radio. That's a weapon. Um, or try to freaking disarm them, you know? Dude, I, I, you give me a radio and you got a katana blade, I'm, that's not a good fight. <laughs> no, it's I like, mean, first, let me re-choose. Well, I got a radio. You got a katana blade. First, <laughs> so you, you want to call for help on the radio. Then right, whatever right. necessary to survive, yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah, you got to make sure you get the notification out first, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, that is wild. Oh, so, yeah, I was going to say, so the story I was going to say is, um, do you remember Brett Rogers? He beat Orlovsky in 19 seconds, heavyweight MMA, and then he got blasted out by Fidio Emelianenko. He was tough. I mean, we're talking he's a six foot three, 265-pound goon. I mean, he threw bombs. He was that dude. Uh, and Orlovsky, for anyone listening doesn't know Orlovsky, he won the UFC heavyweight championship at one point. Um, so he actually was sent to prison. And uh, he was sent to prison because he, I think he, like, sexually assaulted a man. And was it Andre Andre Olovsky? He knocked out Andre Olovsky. Oh, okay. In 19 seconds, he blasted him out real quick. Okay. And then, and he was a contender briefly, and then he fought Fedor Emelianenko, and Fedor did what Fedor does, and uh, damn near decapitated the gentleman. So he was sent to prison, and in prison he got again. His cellmate said, "So this is his cellmate's like a 150 pound man. This guy is six foot three, two sixty five. And he at one point ranked in the top 10 pro MMA fighter. And the Sunday yeah. said he, he woke up and the guy was molesting him like down in his pants. And he was like, wow. and this dude woke up like, 
this is every cliche stereotype about prison and the most horrifying like you're like oh no like if you're you're stuck in the cell with this guy and you're telling yourself please be cool please be a dude who's, who's just looking to serve his time and we yeah. won't get out of here maybe we'll even be friends who knows maybe we'll be friends for life you wake up that night and you're like oh okay good perfect yeah this is how this story's gonna end um so anyways he got busted whatever the shit i think they put on more years on his time eventually because he was he was crazy inside the cell and then um another one have you ever heard of the book called monster um no i haven't can you are your earphones are they not working for you oh they died out okay there's a little feedback it's not crazy do you have other earphones you could possibly use uh, they're, they're dead, man. Okay. It's okay. It's yeah, okay. We'll, we'll work with it. Um, so anyways, there's a book called monsters, a gang guy. He was in LA. He's one of the original crips in LA. And he talks about, um, he was in and out of prison. His story's phenomenal. If you ever get to read it, uh, his nickname on the streets was monster. There's a, there's a fucking nickname for you. Okay. Oh, yeah. Talking about, right. But, That's um, there you go. There's an Instagram handle for you. So he, he was in prison and he said, um, he was in a cell and there's three of them in the cell and they're just holding for however amount of time, but they weren't going to stay there. But at that point in time, for whatever reason, there's three of them in the cell. And he said, the one dude he knew about, because he was like the guy you said with the fishnet that he was making people wear the fishnet. He said, this dude had a reputation for raping people. And so he's in the cell, but monster is, he was a big fucking guy. And he got the nickname monster. Cause they would like, kidnap people and torture them chopping off arms the whole nine on the street he was a monster he 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 was like a a real dude so he was in the cell and the other guy knew him he knew the other guy they weren't friends but the other guy sure as shit wasn't going to try monster because monster he said there's certain dudes in the prison they will die they will they will die before they let you tread on them right they're going like that there's other dudes who they're in there they're not in there for violent crimes or if they are it's not it's not the same and they were he knew the third guy in the room was that type of dude and um he knew the other guy we'll just call him we'll call him fucking tony the molesting guy okay we'll call him tony for the sake of the story i forget his name he said tony was immediately when the guy came in the cell refused to call him by his name was calling him like pussy whatever just right off the bat testing right. calling him like just shit talking him and then the guy like wasn't saying anything back and then tony fucking knew so he started getting physical with them picking a fight and the guy has to fight back but he doesn't fucking fight back either now monster knows this shit ain't gonna go good like the right. guy's not fighting the guy's not shit talking back and the guy doesn't look like he's gonna fight so then um tony starts smacking the guy around smacks turn to punches and then next thing he's next thing you know he's just straight up beating him down and monsters watching it like all right standard type shit so tony tony beats this dude up are you still good wi-fi away? yeah okay good. i'm walking to get my phone charger that's all okay good so tony beats this dude up um really really bad and, and it's a prolonged beating it's not a fight it's a straight up beating and then um monster sees tony taking his belt off grabbing sheets of the like ripping up sheets and hog tying this guy slides him hog ties him slides him under his bed like he's a possession and leaves him there under his bed hog tied beaten up and monster's like what the fuck the fuck is going on right now and he's like tony's like this is kind of what i do uh you know whatever it is what it is and monster's like hey look at 
I don't know this dude. I'm not going to stick up for the dude. I'm just, the guy's like, what, the, the shit's escalating. And for Monster to say this is crazy because Monster's seen a lot of shit was kind of weird. Anyways, after a little time passes, Tony slides the guy out from underneath his cell, pees on the guy. And Monster's like, what the shit is this? And Tony's like, I do this. It demeans him. It, it lowers him down a couple pegs. This is what I do. He's like explaining it like, like he's a psychologist and this is what he right. does. Tony Monster's like, shit's getting wild. I know how this guy operates. And then he slides him back under the bed. And he's like, how fucking long is he going to leave this guy hogtied under his bed? They go to sleep. And Monster's like, man, what the fuck? While Monster's in, in there and they're all sleeping, and the one dude's still under the bed, he hears him slide the guy out of the bed and he knows what's about to happen. Monster hops up and he's like, can't let you do it, man. Then the guy at Tony's like, the fuck you mean? Let me. And then Monster's like, you can, I know what you do. You're going to do what you're going to do. That's your shit. You handle your business. But he's like, it's not going to happen while I'm here. Can't, it's not going to happen. And then Tony's looking at Monster. Monster's looking at Tony. And Tony realizes Monster will fight. And, like, Monster is going to fight back and will fight until one, one of them's dead. Right. So how badly do you want to test this? And right in that story, you saw the difference between in inmates where you stand your ground, nothing will happen, like, or it might not happen anyways, but the guy's going to assess. Where right. you don't, and you're under a fucking bed, hogtied, pissed on, and going to be raped. Like, yeah. it's absolute insanity. And I'm like, oh, my God, man. Talk yeah. about, like, that's hell, man. It's crazy. It's just a different, um, and it's also just a, I mean, it's stepping into a completely different world inside there as well, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just, it's wild, man, honestly. When you left there, so what job did you end up taking after that? Uh, so after that, I actually worked for myself for a couple of years, and um, I uh, owned a gym in Chicago, Chicago Barbell Compound, with a few other guys, and uh, just did training and coaching online, stuff like that, um, and selling apparel. I, I kind of rekindled the whole brand thing, which I'm starting to do again now, starting to come out with more apparel, trying to push things differently. But yeah, I, I worked for myself for three years. And then moved here to Texas, uh, met my now fiance, Alexis, and uh, I started working again, but I don't talk about where I work at now, so. Fair enough, man. <laughs> it's Fair a secret. Enough. Is it nor is it feel weird to have a normal job, like a nine to five after everything you've, man, you've lived a life. Like, you've got, you've got a very interesting life, sir. Does, yeah. it, does it feel like... Um, is it, well, I, I don't know what you do for a living. You know, guy gives specifics, but is it a normal job, like in terms of nine to five type? Um, it's, uh, well, I actually got a pretty sweet schedule. So it's 12 hour shifts, but I work three 12 day, 12 hour days and a half day, which is a six hour day. And then I get three and a half days off. Oh, wow. So I work Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, 12 hours, Wednesday, six hours. So till noon. And then I'm off the rest of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And do you so, train on those 12 hour days though? That would be tough. Um, I do train on those. Yeah. Um, wow. So Alexis will meet me at the gym at destination Dallas. And, uh, but it's, I get off at about 6 PM and we meet there about six 30 and then we'll train till about eight 30, you know, ish. And then we rush home and pr meal prep all our food and do whatever we can to just really just go right back to sleep. So, um, we take days off though. Like today is our off day. 
um, we're not training Wednesday. We're not trained. We don't train on Wednesday and just, you know, chill, enjoy each other's company. She's napping right now. When, when, when did you find powerlifting and how did you, at what point in this story did you end up finding? Um, so I started training like powerlifting, I guess, style movements, uh, where I started focusing more on like, you know, squat bench, deadlift, stuff like that. Uh, around 27, 26, 27. Oh, wow, man. Um, you were a full-on adult. Yeah, yeah. And I was playing football at that time. And basically, I just wanted to be more powerful. So, you know, I was reading that, you know, deadlifts and all that stuff will help you out, you know, yeah. be more explosive. So I started kind of focusing on it, but I was just doing random shit. You know, I didn't have a training program, whatever. I would just do my – I would do my, like, chest and triceps, back and biceps, you know, days like that. Like, yeah, body buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I would just throw in crazy ass deadlifts on back day and yeah, then I would try sure. to squat super heavy on leg day yeah. and bench day, you know? So, uh, I started getting more involved with like, well, I started reading a lot of, actually I was sitting at the jail and I was running inmate visitation and they had, I believe it was muscle and fitness magazine. And I started thumbing through it and it came across Stan Efferding, you know, the rhino. Right. Yeah. And it was the world's strongest bodybuilder. So it was just when he claimed that title from Johnny Jackson. So I went and uh, looked at his training split uh, and in particular his deadlifting split because I like to deadlift, you know, I just enjoyed it from the start and um, started reading it. And I was just kind of blown away. I think he pulled 837.5 at that time. So I was like, wow, this dude's freakishly strong. He looks like a bodybuilder so he had the physique and it looks like ideally this is what i would want to shoot for right mm. so i started finding out his training style and started kind of working out like that then that turned into i think mark bell or chris bell's bigger faster stronger came out then i watched that and i was like you know holy shit like power thing seems pretty cool i want to try this out so i kind of started scoping it out a little bit and that's when they had um powerlifting what was it powerlifting watch where they kept all the records and yeah stuff? man i remember i think it's still up it's not as relevant now but i think it's still relevant. yeah i remember it was extremely relevant at one point right so that's how you found out where all the powerlifting meets were happening and you know who was who and what was what so i started kind of scoping out my weight class and um you know i started realizing like oh man the stuff that i normally do i could be pretty damn competitive at 275 pounds you know so I uh, started talking to some older dudes that were geared lifters in my gym at an LA fitness. And oh, uh, yeah, so Dude, they I were- don't picture that, an LA yeah. fitness. These guys are, are they like multiplied? Like that's yeah. crazy. Oh yeah, they were, they were. And uh, that's cause like a gym had shut down as a YMCA where they were known to have multiply guys. Um, so they all kind of moved over there and they would dominate squat racks I, and all well, that I shit. Well, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for hours they'd be there, you know. And yeah. uh, so I just started talking to them one day and they saw me working out. And they were like, man, you're really strong. You should try powerlifting. And I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. You know, I, I, I just didn't want to do it. So they pressed me yeah. for like a year. And then I finally was like, okay, I'll do a powerlifting meet. You know, what do I need to know? So they – kind of taught me some of the rules and stuff like that of course they thought it was lame that i was going to do it raw they were trying to get me <laughs> gear you know and i didn't want to do gear and uh 
So I went and did the meet, and fuck, right off the bat, I totaled 1973 at 275. And then I got addicted to it after that. And uh, my first powerlifting meet, actually, I pulled 805. And then I was like, okay, I like this. I'm going to fucking just keep going. And then just all hell broke loose for years later. So I I actually did my first meet in 2015. Um, I was 30. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you do hear some people getting uh, late starts like this day and age, you have like 13 year olds powerlifting, which is crazy. And, but you still can start like you were, you were squatting and deadlifting beforehand, but mid to late twenties though, which you think would be late, but it's, um, you could still reach that full potential. It's something about the nervous system. Everybody's nervous system is a little different too. And some people even peak in their forties, you know, so it's, it's hard to call. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, and I was always an athlete too. And like I was saying, you know, earlier, like I always looked for some kind of hobby, something to keep me busy. So when football wasn't happening, now I wanted to powerlift, you know, and powerlift wasn't happening. I was working on cars and, and back and forth, back and forth all the time. I always stayed busy. I still do that now. Um, I'm sure it drives my fiance nuts, man. I can't sit still, honestly. That's just how I am. But uh, yeah, it's, I, I I don't think I've reached my peak yet, honestly. Um, I just competed, uh, well, last weekend. And just coming out of coronavirus lockdown, I almost totaled 2,200 pounds. You know, that's what, like, a terrible peaking. I mean, the, the actual training and all that was, was great. But if I had, like, six more weeks, like, honestly, I think I could probably 23s, mid 2,300 pound totals with that. You know, just – so given the circumstances and, and that's with everybody, you know, at the competition too, we all went through the same thing together, but uh, it, it went good. So I think that I'm not even near what my full potential is yet. Um, and honestly, you could, I mean, I have experience as a lifter from off and on from when I was 17 to 19 and more consistent at 19 all the way to now, which the training is more deliberate in for a specific thing. And, you know, I mean, all those years, you know, so I don't have that much powerlifting, I guess, competition experience, you could say, even though if you look at my roster, I have quite the amount of competitions. But uh, you, like you said, you got these 13 year olds that are going to do it into their 30s. You know right. what I mean? So technically, they'd have overall more experience than I would. Yeah. It's yeah. A, um, for anyone listening in commie, in commie units, that's like close to a thousand kilo, obviously 22. 100 uh 22 it would be yeah, uh, thousand, thousand kilograms total yeah yeah is that my the next goal then? thousand thousand twenty five kilos okay well never mind you already got it okay no yeah. ask about that um so when you how did you end up started like do you coach yourself in terms of programming when did you when did that start coming together in terms of like look at i um, need like technique wise even with the lifts as well yeah so i started coaching myself right and watching youtube videos and stuff like that then as I got more involved, like kind of in the community, I learned uh, who the Lily Bridges were, right? So they weren't too far from where I lived, about 40 minutes. So I would drive up there to their gym called Barbell Central, and I would train with the Lily Bridges. And, and Ernie Lilybridge Sr. was coaching the entire team. And obviously, you know, they had freaking J.P. Carroll at the time. They had um, Derek Kendall at the time. If anyone knows Derek Kendall, um, you know, they had this guy named Matt Clausen, of course, Ernie and Eric. 
I mean, just freaks of nature at that gym, you know, and I was surrounded by it. So I started learning a lot from them and applying it to my own training. And then, uh, so once I did my first competition, I, I coached myself, prepped myself for it. Matt Clausen, who was a big bencher, he had totaled like 2,100, 20, mid 2,100 pound total at the time. And he was my weight class. He told me about Josh Bryant and, uh, said Josh Bryan can help me get my bench up because I was benching like high mid to high 400s and uh I wanted that 500 pound bench you know that was like the holy grail for me at the time so I I talked to Josh Bryant he got me set up with some coaching and then my very first meet I benched five 500 I think it was 501 actually yeah um, 227 and a half kilo yeah yeah so uh that was Josh when I first hired him, he didn't do the squat or the deadlift for me, just did the bench press. And then after the bench went good for me, I think I totaled, I totaled 2000, like over 2000 pounds, 2045 pounds at the Arnold's. And, uh, Josh was like, Hey, why don't you just let me do the whole thing? And I was like, okay. So Josh took control of it. And then my very next meet, I told 2133. I mean like another hundred pound gain. Yeah. in my lifts you know so he was pushing me quick and uh, I was adapting fast to his training style and I've been with Josh ever since so he's been it, he still coaches me it's tough for like to to only help someone out for one lift because the nervous you, you could like technically speaking you could touch up the one lift and be like okay if right. you do this move your feet whatever it's so technical but then on the nervous systems and in terms of getting someone stronger it's like it can be difficult because you're like, look at your, your squat and you're dead. Nervous system wise can also impact what you're benching. Like it's, if we need to oh, get yeah. you stronger, you, you start initially, you don't necessarily know that, right? When you go to somebody. Oh, like, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's, right. I know that's you why. mean, cause I was the same way. Yeah. That's and then why Josh after, was like, Hey, why don't you just let me do the whole thing? And I was right. very protective of running my own squat program and my own deadlift program because I was, squatting near 800 at that point and i was already deadlifting like low mid mid 800s you know so i i was like real proud of that and uh josh was always known i mean number one he's known for putting out world-class lifters right like some of the best guys in the sport have come through josh at some point but obviously he's known for training and having the strongest benchers in the world around him at all times because he was one of the strongest benchers in the world and uh that's what i came to him for but you know obviously learning more about it and, and learning about powerlifting and training um i've you know i've obviously learned to trust him you know what i mean so he yeah. handles and does everything for me right now it's tough to um one of the it sounds counter counterintuitive like to say this but it's true that one of the worst things you could do when you start is to be strong, naturally strong, because then you can be like, I don't want you to fuck around with my squat and dead. I, you see what I did? Like, you almost don't want to fuck around with it because it's right. good, right? But, um, but you, I mean, it's tough to, like, let it go, to let someone else drive that car. Um, yeah. So it's – and when you're really strong, that's tough, man. However, yeah, there's, there's people who can come in there if they're world class. It's, it's, it's just a trust factor. Yeah. And that happens often where it's like, okay, if you could fix up my bench and it's not going to be easy because I'm not giving central nervous system wise, you don't know what I'm doing to my nervous system when I'm deadlifting on my deadlift day squat day. By the time I go in on my bench day, I might be dead. And then oh, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to blame you that you didn't move my bench. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he's probably like, fuck, I hope this works out. <laughs> he's like, technically, I'm yeah. going to help you out, but hopefully you've got gas in the tank for when we get to the bench day. But all's well, it ends well. But um, yeah. yeah, I think that happens often with lifters. Oh, yeah. This last meet, you know, it's been a solid year since I've competed. And then, you know, the whole virus thing and then uh, competed. And man, I, I was out of gas by the time deadlifts arrived. So I had specific goals for squat, bench, and deadlift. And I hit two of them. And I, right when I pulled my second attempt deadlift, I already knew in my head, like, the third goal isn't happening, which was a 903. <laughs> I wanted to pull 900. Oh, but yeah. the squat had taken so much out of me that I was – I pulled 865 and then I was like, okay, I'll make a small bump to 880 and, and missed 880 just above my knees. Mm. And I, I, I just knew I was, I was out of gas. So that's actually the first time that it's happened to me. Usually I come alive at the end because I like to deadlift, you know? So I just try to get through squat and, and bench. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was tired. There's nothing worse than that feeling. We had a competition and you know, like you hit the wall and you're like, Oh no. And you got like one more deadlift, or hopefully yeah. just one more deadlift left. You have two more left. That's there's not a shittier feeling. We're like, okay, well, that was it. That was it. Yeah. Here we and, go. And I was lifting with Daniel Bell, you know. So I was like, okay, you know. Yeah. He, yeah. He's, he's surrounded by that guy. Right. Yeah. It's tough. It's a tough. Um, your setup is a setup when you're about to deadlift. I mean, mm -hmm. I can recognize it if someone just blacked it out and it was just a silhouette. Everybody knows it's you. Right, yeah. that is your setup, and I remember posting on King of Lifts, being like, "My man took your setup." Like he, remember? I think I, this is a little ways back. Yeah. But some kid, some young kid, I was like, "You for sure stole that." Like that was such a, it's such a unique before you deadlift setup, and everyone who sees it knows it's you. Um, and this kid did exactly what you were doing. I think he even yeah. had the same amount of pumps before we did it. And I'm like, probably there's there's a couple out there that I get I get tagged in them. Um, some of them are my clients, actually. They adopt that that whole thing, too. Um, I have a theory behind it, right? Yeah. I don't know what is if that? it's true. But, uh, you know, after talking with Josh Bryan about it, that, you know, the deadlift only – or the deadlift is the only lift with a con uh, concentric movement, right, where you're picking it straight up and locking it out and it's done. There's no – eccentric negative energy being built up like squat you're squatting down you're building up and you're storing energy in the muscle from the descent same thing with bench so essentially what i was trying to do was create the elastic energy mm. by elongating the you know the length shortening cycle of my hamstrings and then in perfect timing before that uh energy dissipates which is to grab the bar and to pull to get that stored energy so it sounds good. I don't know if that's what's actually happening, you know what I mean? But that's <laughs> what I think, you know. You know, we can change the story and be like, I'm actually summoning the gods of war. Right, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, some people will say I look like a character from Dragon Ball Z, like pumping up yeah, for like that's right. my power. Yeah, that's right. It's, you know, like whenever I post, you have some people like, I don't understand why everyone has to be so extra. They're just doing it for attention. They're just, it's like, no, man. Like, I, I don't know if these people just don't like power lift or it just happens naturally. I, I, everyone does certain things. Yeah. I mean, everybody just does their, I mean, my, my setup has evolved over time. So, and when I look at old videos, I always kind of did that. Mm -hmm. Now it's much more intentional, but I still do it automatically. You know, like I don't just 
walk up to the bar and I'm like, Oh, I forgot to do my pumps. And then, you know, do that. I yeah. set up the same way every time, the same thing and pull the same way. And a lot of it too is like, it's a popularity contest on social media, right? So if they don't know you or they're just finding out who you are, they're like, what's this guy, what's this guy doing? You know? And then they maybe look back after that and they're like, Oh, he's, he knows what he's doing a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to describe because like people comment all the time, especially if a girl does it, they love like some of these girls are so extra. Like Jessica Bittner um, is like a phenomenal deadlifter. Yeah. She's a, like just if the numbers she's doing are crazy. She was on ESPN with her deadlift. I mean, it's Corona time. So there wasn't yeah. any other sports that helped, but people like, oh, like she, she digs her heel in and then digs her other foot in. And then, but like, I don't know what it is, but everyone does something before the deadlift. Like you said, and I don't know if it's because you're, it's, you aren't ra unracking it. All the other right. lifts you're unracking. There is, it's just a start from a, it's literally dead weight. That's the why dead. it's called the deadlift. Yeah. Um, so it is something like prepping your body, getting really stuck into place and generating mm -hmm. from a dead stop generating momentum so you almost do have to hype up the energy and coil up the energy if you will or yeah, it's hard yeah. to explain to somebody but it's it's logical it's not just for show right you know I mean, this will this will look cool yeah we don't know maybe uh you know if i get hooked up to some electrodes and then do a science experiment to see if i'm actually creating energy or not you know i would love to see if someone did that if someone could like uh, you know, hook up a, a huge power, like a guy like yourself who generates that amount of force and just yeah. see what the hell is going on. Make you have to start from a dead stop. No, no setup at all in your deadlift and see what happens. Yeah. yeah. As, as well as no stimulation before you lift. Do you do like mental games with yourself? Um, yeah. I, uh, I mean, besides listening to music, which I feel like, you know, everybody does with their headphones or whatnot, but um, you know, just trying to reflect on like past experiences or like you know, visualize how I want this to go. And, um, you know, just kind of putting all my energy into it. Now I used to get like crazy and wild before every lift, you know, screaming, yelling, marching around, throwing shit, whatever. Now it's a much more composed, um, where I could just turn it on and off, you know, and kind of control it at the right times. And then I go back to laughing and joking around three seconds right. later with everybody else, you know? Cause you can gas out too. Like emotionally, um, when you have, when you just let go all of your adrenaline too much, like if uh, I've noticed that if it's like squats and I get too hyped up for my third squat, cause I got a big third squat, it's going to be a PR or what have you. So you get yourself hyped up, but if you do too much and the adrenaline just goes, when you come out for a bench and then you come out again for your dead, you could be like, shit, I can't, I emptied the well. I'm, I'm yeah. kidding myself now. That's on. It's difficult to find that happy medium. And there's another thing that some people don't realize. Like they think, again, it's like being extra. When it's not just being extra, adrenaline in your body, there's a reason why that deer gets that adrenaline and fucking can outrun a pack of wolves, jump over a fence and keep trucking. Cause it's yeah. got that adrenaline going. And when the adrenaline hits your body, you're going to lift a heck of a lot more. It's yeah. all a game of how do you bring it? I, you, it'd be with your past life experiences. Is it tough to get up for a lift when you've done so many other things that are, you would think far more adrenaline inducing far more, like life or death style, like, you know, I mean, walking into a cage and fighting, um, or do you kind of bring yourself to that mindset? Yeah, I, I definitely bring myself to it. Um, 
you know, especially if it's a lift, you know, you're kind of treading territory you've never gone through before. Yeah. Um, if it's something I've done a million times, I don't really put myself in that mindset. I kind of save it for when it counts, let's say. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I can definitely feel like I could bring, bring myself to like that feeling of like that adrenaline rush, you know, mm-hmm. and actually a lot of people too, they think it's crazy. I don't really use any smelling salts or anything like that. I don't use ammonia. I just fucking lift, man. I mean, I feel like I got enough uh, things to draw upon to get myself hyped up. I don't need like the outside stimulus, you know? I, I, um, yeah, I, mean, I hate ammonia and smelling salts to be honest yeah. with you. It's not my thing. I tried it once. I'm like this. I don't, I, I mean, I like, right I like them. I like them. <laughs> yeah. I just don't really care to use it. Don't do anything for me really. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't help a lot. Um, for yourself in terms of lifting on the calendar year, what are the events that you look forward to? The, the, something that I've noticed in, in terms of for powerlifting on the untested side, there isn't like, it, it kind of shifts. Which event is the premier event that everyone's going to show up at, et cetera. And some years we'll have an event where like all the big names show up and holy yeah. shit. Okay. Fields, you know, balls on the field, let's play. Other times it's somewhat scattered and you're like, damn man, I want to see everybody at this one, one meet. Yeah. I mean, it's, it changes. So Definitely Dan Green's Boss of Bosses was yeah. something I looked forward to. Um, and then at the time, it was the, the U.S. Open, the Kearns U.S. Open. But it's all kind of seems like it fizzled out, I guess, you know. And uh, I don't know. It's hard to really explain. I, I like that stuff, but I don't care for it as much. I feel like now I look more forward to, like, exhibition events like the Animal Cage, like when I was getting invited back to that at the Arnold's all the time to me that was like oh man like I was hyped the hell up for that so it's definitely between that and boss of bosses um now it's just kind of like wherever I can fit one in my freaking schedule you know I I'll I'll just do it you know I I, uh yeah the animal cage is crazy fun to watch I liked um now that we're popping up on ESPN every now and then the deadlift showdown they had between Jerry Pritchett and uh Oh yeah, Rono, yeah. Oh, oh, uh, yeah, Hinla for where they did like eight hundred or sorry, yeah, eight eighty one, so four hundred kilo for reps. Stuff like that's fun because it's not over in one lift. You're you're literally going toe to toe. I mean, some I don't mind some ideas like that to make it a little creative. And the the animal cage will do stuff like that, oh, where yeah. it's it can you can have stuff going head to head, or you see someone fighting for reps if it's like a set of five. And it's it's fun to watch someone scrap it out for that fifth or sixth. Oh yeah, absolutely. Turns visually like a like a fan watching it. Yep. I mean, it's uh yeah. Um, is there so look at it, where you're at? What competitions? Because a pioneer just happened. Is uh, there still some on the calendar? I think the showdown. There's some in the fall coming with a couple of weight classes, but I don't know if they have the big boys in those ones. Um, I I think um. I don't. I honestly don't know. I haven't looked at the schedule. I, in Texas here, there seems like there's a meet every weekend. So oh, wow. you got people getting ready for like what's called Bend the Bar or Battle of the Bay. Um, but like the big ones, I, I would think the U.S. Open's probably going to happen again, or maybe Boss of Bosses would be the only ones that I'm kind of interested in finding out about. Let's say you know uh, anything where they attract a higher uh, strength level. Yeah. You know. Um, but there's nothing, it's so up in the air right now, you know what I mean? With all this stuff opening and closing, you don't even know where to watch. 
Is is it a when you watch? Do you watch powerlifting as a fan? Like, do you follow? Who do you follow when 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 it comes to powerlifting, or do you not super follow a bunch of other people? Um, I follow the I I really follow everybody that I've kind of had a connection with at some point. So. A lot of the people I follow like on social media are ones that I've either competed with or done some sort of expo uh, exposition with, you know, and um, yeah, they're, uh, that's, that's really it. Otherwise, and there's a few local guys here in Texas that I'm like a big, big fan of guys I uh, train out of uh, Destination Dallas with me. One, one kid's name is Jeremy Alexander. I think you guys post him up mm -hmm. all the time. He's like a 181 guy and just he's psychotic i love it you know um i've been watching a lot of uh what's his name uh it's it's he's a deadlifter his name's evan um he's kind of like up and coming he's the one where i don't know if you remember the video he was deadlifting in like a fitness connection he goes to deadlift and a guy sits on his bar evan carden who who is always yeah. getting into it with garrett fear yeah 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 garrett gets into it with everybody garrett used to get into it with me all the time um but uh yeah evan evan cardon right is yes, that it yeah 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 so i've been following him a lot just because i like his excitement for everything kind of reminds really me <laughs> he gets so much heat man he gets yeah. so well he he's looking for it. he's looking for that kind of that kind of energy oh it's yeah yeah i mean either i feel like you either like him or you don't like him i like i like him i like the uh you know i like watching people with big egos you know what i mean um and not because like a lot, I feel like when someone has a big ego, they always want to see them fail for some reason. You're like right. the bad guy. For some reason, I key into that. You root and, for the uh, bad guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, stuff, yeah. It's, it's exciting uh, to watch kind of like, uh, it's like a WWF, you know, personality. It is 100%, dude. You know? 100% it is, yeah. Do you think we need more of that? Like, I don't mind, like, um, I, I don't want trash talking that's like gets personal where people get like attacking someone's right. upbringing or family. That's a little yeah. much where it's like, okay, pull it back. We don't need to go there. But how do you, how do you feel about the trash talking? Cause. Oh, I love at, it. Say, okay. So this is what I'm saying. Like King of lifts, we will hype showdowns because we have to, I feel like, like for, we don't have every now and then we're starting to get all the ESPN, but usually we're not getting mainstream. And how do you get people excited? You want showdowns, you want a little bit of tension, but sporting tension, which is good. It's like, you know, as an MMA guy and, and uh, boxing, et cetera, because we're not a team sport, you, why do I care? When, when, if I sit down for a UFC with some friends and they're like, tell me about this. When I tell them about who's fighting, if I tell them some background story and, and I get you emotionally invested and you give a fuck, you're going to watch with me and it's good. Right. But if you're like, they're just two dudes, well, right. okay, you're probably going to leave. You're going to you're gonna get up yeah. start talking to somebody, whatever the hell. And that's what we try to do with King of Lifts. People like you guys love the drama. Not like drama, but I'll lean into it if I see a little bit of a showdown going on. Whatever. I, mean, I like, yeah, I like the whole character thing. Like me and Rob Hall did that for uh, the Animal Cage a couple years ago. I mean, we were going back and forth at each other on the internet. Like I said, it never got personal. It was just literally us talking shit about who's better and who's better at lifting and who sucks, you know? And, yeah. Um, we would add little cheap shots in there. Like I think I told him when he's tired and, and he falls down on the ground cause I, cause I beat him that I'm going to stand over him and say all this trash talk in his face, like, like a freaking wrestling match, you know? And uh, it honestly, it hyped people up for that. Like where people, when we went to the Arnold's, 
they came to the cage for that specific event. I mean, it manifested during the event into something fucking crazy anyways, but um, it was uh, all the anticipation. And then you had guys that were guys and girls that were rooting for Rob guys and girls that were rooting for me, you know, and uh, that, that turned, that was probably the best for me out of anything I've done as far as lifting on the platform or not. Like that's, the pinnacle of my career so far you know that's the most memorable thing it probably gets brought up the most too when you ratchet up the tension here's here's what it is as well as, as someone who of an observer who's watching when two guys are or girls are ratcheting up the tension and somebody's they're going to go face to face and someone's going to lose and it's the worst possible as an athlete i get it you almost want to compete but have a soft out so if you lose you shake hands no biggie congratulations right. That's the easy soft out. The hard out is when you talk so much trash and people are like, oh my God, if you lose the, and the other guy's talking trash and someone's got to lose. Yeah. So you guys are ratcheting it up more and more and, and you're going to face off and someone's going to have to eat that crow. And oh my, people want to watch to see someone eat that crow. E even though it makes it more tension and you're like, don't you get worried if you're going to lose how embarrassing that'd be. People ask Conor McGregor, people ask these MMA guys and they're like, you can't worry about that. Someone's no. going to lose always. But the fact that you care is what I need you to do. I need you yeah. to care. If you want to tune in so that you watch me lose and get humbled, or you want to tune in because you want the bad guy to win or whatever it is, I just need you to tune in. Though. You know, and that's what people don't get. And if you lose, it's okay. People, whatever. You shrug it off and, and you continue on to the next one. If you're good, you'll win some, you'll lose some, you'll have your moments, you'll, you'll eat your crow. It's a sport end of the day. Who really cares if you lose it? Yeah. As long as you're in it, as long as you show up, you look around that cage and you could tell people like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, these titans and, are about to clash. Well, and then honestly, like, as somebody that was doing it as their main source of income at the time, you know, the more people you bring, the more stuff you get invited to, the more money you get paid. That's right. just how it goes, you know? And um, obviously I, I don't like, I don't care as much for it anymore because I have more of a regular lifestyle now than I did before. But, you know, at the time that was like, that was exciting to me. You know what I mean? This causing the most, who can make the most noise and cause the most ruckus to get the most people to come see them, you know? Even, <laughs> even if you fucking sucked, you know, but... <laughs> It was about your personality. That's what it was about. It, you know what? It's almost like, look at, if the two, if the two guys are am rapping, not even a crazy weight, but the drama behind it, and someone's gonna have to lose, and they're gonna go eyeball to eyeball, and I'm like, I'll, you might still watch, even if oh, it's yeah. a lower weight, but I actually care a little more, and the drama was hyped up to it. I can, yeah, let's see what's gonna happen. Yeah. You know, definitely, it is like pro wrestling where you have to get over with the crowd. You're selling it to the crowd. And some oh, yeah. wrestlers, some pro wrestlers can't get over with the crowd. They can't sell it. And Vince McMahon's like, you're not getting over. I can't use you. You're, it's not working. Where, right. So basically, you have to sell it. And same thing with powerlifting, um, where if you can get over with the crowd, and get just get people to give a shit. Why am I watching? Now, that's yeah. the hardest part when it comes to powerlifting. That's the oh, one yeah. piece that some people don't get. Well, we definitely gave people an excuse to be over there that day. I know that. And uh, – Honestly, the drama that led up to it, the actual event itself, and then what came after, you know, sold the whole thing, honestly. And, Tell uh, the story. Tell the story for those who didn't see it. When you say uh, the so, drama leading up to what happened and then the after. So it was, it was Rob, me versus Rob Hall at the Animal Cage, I think, uh, about 
it might be three years ago now, but uh, Rob is is an animal athlete, and I'm not. But and you know they challenge an outside person every year to come into the cage, and uh, they go head to head in something, right? So um, Rob. And Rob, when he tells the story, you know, he says he knows that he wasn't as good as deadlifting as myself, but he wanted to call me out and he wanted to go head to head with the deadlift for reps. Um, so the manner that it was set up was the set weight was 600 pounds. We couldn't use any straps or anything like that. And it was rep. I would rep one out, then he would rep one out back and forth, back and forth. So and you had a specific amount of time to grab the next deadlift after the guy put it down. I think it was like 30 seconds. So, you know, pretty decent pace. And uh, so we go back and forth, back and forth. All this anticipation of people kept asking. Well, first we were talking shit to each other. You know, who's going to win, who's not, and all this bullshit. And then um, people started asking us how many do they think we're going to get. And I said 30. And when people said 30 reps, when they heard that, they were like, this guy's nuts. You're probably only going to get like 10 or 12. And Rob, though, was saying the same thing. I think I can get close to about 30 reps. So then when it came down to it, we obliterated the 30 pound, uh, 30 rep mark. Um, I think the whole event went on for about an hour and a half-ish. Uh, wait and, a second, wait a second. Uh, like, not just you two deadlifting. Yes. Yeah. What? Yeah. I didn't so, know we went on to do this is crazy. For yeah, so for 90 minutes. Yeah, and we were going back and forth rep just like I said and uh we way surpassed what we thought and I mean you really had to dig down deep mentally because I shredded the skin completely off my hands and was still pulling the weight and then Rob ended up with uh rhabdo and in the hospital but he ended up winning actually and um I had no more grip strength left. My hands were just toasted. Uh, but I did 62 and he did 65 or 63 and 65, something like that. That's so insane. it was just insanity because, I mean, we were like pushing and pushing. So the crowd was getting into it. I mean, I just remember at one point looking around and you could not see like in a distance without seeing heads bobbling around all turning to look into the cage or they had a big jumbos tron. And they were all staring at this jumbotron. Um, and I, Seth Ferrosi actually came by and he was like, dude, he's, you know, he was doing a meet and greet at his booth. He walked in the cage and he was like, I was turning people away because I was too like wrapped up and I could not believe this is what was happening. You know what I mean? So um, that, that was fun, man. And uh, it took me about two weeks to recover and get any sort of, you know, I could touch the bar without them being overly sensitive, you know. Dude, dude, this sounds like it's, it's like, I mean, compare this to like an MMA fight almost. How exhausted oh, yeah. and mentally, it's just mentally going there. Mentally oh, hitting yeah. the wall and having to go through the wall. Like, that's, this isn't, you could make a documentary on this, man. <laughs> you probably could. It'd be a really short one. But yeah, you know, uh, Animal did a lot, a lot of good coverage on it. Um, you know, they, they held a little bit more. Uh, interviews with Rob you know he's their athlete and stuff Rob Rob tells the story really well they do I mean it was covered by you know all the big uh like slingshot had it on there pioneer animal uh it was all over the internet I mean that shit definitely went viral um yeah and I would say for the most part besides you know the 900 pound deadlifts and stuff that's what a lot of people remember before was well, that I'm 
do, do, like it's a phenomenal story. I think it's a phenomenal setup. I mean, you might want to yeah. go a little heavier so you don't have to go that long. It's almost like if you went heavier, it would have been way easier because you would have died out sooner. The fact oh, that yeah. it was 600 and you're going to go all day, all night, but like that's an incredible, that's like hearing stories about, um, like I read tons of books on uh, boxers, Sam Langford and Joe Johnette. No, no. Yeah, Sam McVie and Joe Johnette in like the ni- 1910 are two boxers. They went 46 rounds. And one guy knocked the other guy down 27 times. The other guy knocked. That's like, that's like some stories like that, man. When it, when it, our yeah. powerlifting version. That's our powerlifting right. version of that story. It, it, mm-hmm. Is there any way anyone could talk you into doing something like that again? Or would you be like, no, thank you. I'm good. Uh, three years later, I'm still, well, I'm still good. I, I was prepared to do what I had to do to win at the time. And knowing myself, I would still do what I would have to do to win something like that, but I'd be less likely to accept the challenge now. Now that you know, it's yeah, always better to I not know. know. Let me walk yeah. in there not knowing what I signed up for. Right, just... like if it, if it just happened, then it just happens. Like I unknowingly, you know, turn this event into something else, Dude. then yeah. But... Dude, I picture when you just said that, I picture like a guy coming into your gym. He's got 600 on the bar, you got 600 on the bar. Just by chance, you did a yeah. stretch. And then just by chance, he does his single. And then all of a sudden you do your single because you have some singles that day. He does a single and all of a sudden you're like, is this fucking happening right now? Right, you, right. you want to go, bud? <laughs> you want to go, bud? Next, two hours later, you're still repping this. You're going tip yeah. for tat. People are crowding around like, oh my God, it's happening. It's some happening people were telling me uh, that they did a charity event and they tried to do the same thing, but with 500 pounds or one of their buddies. And he's, they said they only got like 10 or 12. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's like realistic, normal people weight, but 10 or 12, and like, you almost want to pick a weight that you could get something disgusting with, but it's good, man, that's hell though. Like that is nervous system wise, you must have been absolutely fried in the nervous system. Oh yeah, yeah, we were completely done. I think at the time uh, I had repped like straight out, I think like 18 reps of 600, like without stopping. So I knew I, that's why I said 30, because I thought that, okay, with the stopping and letting him go, then me pulling, that's like a little recovery time. So I thought, yeah, maybe I can get 10 more. That's why I was saying about 30, but we blew the doors off that and put 30 more on on top of that, you know, so isn't pretty it, fucking crazy. Isn't it insane what the mind is capable of when you're pushed? Like you think oh, you've yeah. got a limit. You think you have a limit. If you were there by yourself in the cage and it was just like, Steve, we want you to rep out 600. Who knows what number you would have stopped at? If you told yourself 30, maybe you would have did 30, whatever the hell. It's weird how the mind works where you're pushed and someone's pushing you in front of you. You don't want to quit. And the adrenaline's right. going. And the mind games, like what you think you're capable of, it's a whole other yeah. story. Well, and we both didn't want to lose. You know, We both wanted to be the champion of that. We had a lot of people in there yelling at us and keeping us going in between. And it was fun, man. It's something I'll never forget, that's for sure. When you see him now, are you guys like – it's weird because you guys went through hell together. It's like a yeah, weird – Yeah, no, we're, we're cool, man. Like, it was funny because a lot of people think – so, like, our shit talking was staged. A was, lot of people, okay. They legitimately thought we fucking hated each other. So, you know, I know that there's like a couple times they've seen us in the same room together and people are, like, looking like, oh, shit, what's going to happen? Like, you know, like, no, we bullshit all the time that's good it's man i i can see i can appreciate that we're with like the ribbing and a little bit of being like look if this is gonna happen let did you guys actually ahead of time be like look at i'm gonna throw some shots throw some shots we're good oh yeah let's, 
Okay. We good. talked on the phone. We talked on the phone about it. We're like, dude, let's hype this up, man. Let's uh, yeah. let's make it. I remember telling them, let's make it like the event to come watch at the cage. And we like we did it. You know, I put a story of um, I made a video. You remember the movie The Warriors? Um, is 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 that the MMA one with Tom Hardy? No, uh, the like the gangs. Oh, you know, oh way back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you know where he's clanking the bottles and he's like, Warrior. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. put that God up. Play. Yeah, I so I put that video up as if Rob was calling me out like to come to come out, uh, you yeah, know, and yeah, yeah. up. And then I it's probably on my Instagram. I gotta look back, but there's my whole rant on there of me just calling him out and talking shit. So I kicked it off. And then he went back, we went back and forth. And then, you know, we started talking about like getting physical with each other at some point, but it never got oh, like, People would be like, these are, these are some big boys. If they start, yeah. like we, how many people we got to bring in for security to like separate these fellas. It, it, it turns oh, into a cage That's what match. we wanted. That's what we wanted. So like, even at the uh, cage, like while we were getting all hyped up for it, you know, we're warming up and the anticipation we like intentionally didn't talk to each other you know we were fucking giving each other dirty ass looks and shit and i mean we played it 100 percent. and uh you know i think if the wwf was there we probably both would have got contracts you know? <laughs> Dude, for sure and when it was all over did you guys look at each other like let's never do this again this was a terrible idea we should i um, feel like it, i might die like one of you ended up in the hospital like you're like who's yeah i, I don't this remember I don't remember the exchange of words, but I, I knew that um, when, when I went to go pull like the 63rd rep and I, I just couldn't get it anymore, I, I knew that I was, I was barely hanging on leading up to that point, just grabbing the bar in my fingertips, you know? And uh, Oh my God. Yeah. And so I already, I, I already knew I wanted to see Rob push a little bit more. So I remember he was getting the crowd hyped up and stuff. And then I walked over to him on the platform and I was like, <clears throat> I said, uh, you came this far. I was like, now put the nail in the coffin. And then he got all jacked up. <laughs> and, then, and then I was yelling in his ear, you know, as he was pulling the 64th and 65th rep. Yeah, wow, dude. It's a freaking yeah. sporting moment, man. That is a sporting moment for sure. You for sure could splice that up into a little mini doc. Because that's the perfect yeah. ending when you guys end up in the cage and then you put your bar down go over there and be like give me give me a couple more champ um, and then I, yeah and then i raised his arm in victory yeah man well the, i want i want I, I remember posting this years back but i didn't i don't think i knew or maybe i did have to go back at it that it was that long to actually yeah. have it play out in real time i, I know what you mean where you're like look that's three years ago i feel like i peaked in my career how do you top that Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, this is a story that's almost like over the top story. It's like, how do I top this? I don't even know if I want to, because I don't want to be pushed yeah. like that again, right? Honestly, don't I don't honestly personally think that I could do something to match up to that again. I, I think that I could still do things pretty exciting, but I don't think the whole atmosphere and kind of how that all manifested was just the perfect storm of things, honestly. So I don't think I don't I mean I don't foresee it happening again, honestly. Yeah. But if it does, it does. I would welcome it with open arms. But you know, I don't. I personally don't see it happening again. I mean, it was just, it was just too good. It was just the right time. Unless that fucko comes into your gym and it starts <laughs> pulling the same weight, and you go, "Are we doing this, son? Are you sure no, you want this, son? Because we're gonna not my hey, fucking hey, house. You, yeah. you, you go clear your afternoon, son. Pack a lunch. Right. We're gonna be here. We're gonna That's be right. here, bud." Um, 
I've had you for over two hours. Much appreciate your time, man. This has been an amazing conversation. We got to do it again. I think we could do like another two hours if we wanted to. Yeah, um, probably. But, but before I let you go, one question I always ask everybody, um, when all is said and done, it's, you know, you're an old man, you're looking back at your career. How do you want to be remembered? Man, that's kind of hard to, I always, I, I always thought about that stuff too, but basically I just want to, I think I'd, I'd want to be like, people look back on all the stuff that I've done and be like, you know, maybe they try to like hold themselves to the same standard. Like just be crazy, just be crazy what you're training. And just, you know, if sporting or if you want to take this as a sport or make it a career, just do anything and everything you can to be the best, no matter what it takes. And I think that I've myself, you know, in my opinion, I think that I've portrayed that through some of the events and things that I've been part of. So just uh, basically, I just want people to look at me and be like, that dude has no quit and would, you know, go to the death if he had to, you know, for his passion. And uh, if, if anyone, are you doing coaching still? If someone wants to reach out? Uh, for what? Are you doing coaching still? If someone wants to reach out for coaching? Yes, or... I am. Yeah. Okay. So I, I coach people. Um, I've been working with a lot smaller client base than I used to because it's not my main source of income anymore. Um, it's gotten a lot more in depth as well. So, um, yeah, I still do coaching. Basically people just have to direct message me or I, I have on my website where they can buy, uh, programs I put like, which are templates, which are just good guidelines to follow. They're pretty cheap. They're like, they start at like 20 bucks mm. and go up from there, depending on your experience level. And if they wanted, uh, more in depth coaching where they're actually speaking with me one-on-one, -on -one, then we would just, you know, it's, it's a different price point, but it would just go on from there. And what, what's the website? Uh, it's forsakenwarrior.bigcartel.com. It's, uh, there's links in my bio on Instagram for it too. There we go, my friend. Look at much appreciated, dude. This is, this Absolutely, is a hell of a chat. Fun. This yeah. is a good chat, man. We'll, we'll keep in touch. For sure, dude. Definitely. It went, it went by very fast, too. It did. Well, two hours, we crushed two hours, man. Yeah. I got to go. I got to go hit the beach. I'm at the cottage here. My parents are like, where's Ryan? <laughs> Where's this I got to ride my uh, Honda Ruckus around, man, and fucking zip around that. There we go. There we go. We'll keep in touch, man. Uh, good luck in training. Stay safe. We'll talk later. All right, brother. Take it easy. See you, buddy. Bye.